BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, you may have heard the terminology, the new right. The thing is, it's just the same old problems with the new nomenclature. What does that mean? I'll be honest, I don't know either because it keeps changing all the time. Let's go down to Pikeville, Kentucky. Good friend of ours. Excited to get him on the show, though. Been reading his stuff and talking to him. Glad to have you on. Jeffrey Tyler Sick. He's a professor of politics and such things down there in Kentucky. How are you, sir? Great to have you on the program. I'm doing very good. It's great to be here with you. Good to see you. Congratulations on the new gig, by the way. Got you back in Thank you. Perf- the halls and groves of academe. Well done, sir. Um, let's start here, though, because I think the terminology is important here. The nomenclature of it, the new right. You see that on social media. There's a certain strand of people on the right that really, really like that terminology. They they use it as kind of nomenclature and banner for themselves. How are you using it, though? And we're going to link to his piece in, in Law and Liberty that's pretty in-depth on this. Read it in the show notes on the Substack. Give me some nomenclature on what the new right and just a little brief history on why they're a little different than maybe, you know, re- we know everything changed after Trump. But these are ideas that predated Trump, but these are not Bush conservatives. These are not Reagan conservatives. These are not conservatives, as most people have used the term for the last 30, 40 years. Well, and that's exactly the distinction they're, they're trying to make. They want to say they're different from Ronald Reagan. They're different from George Bush. Um, they want to emphasize that they are tend to be very culturally conservative, very socially conservative. But when it comes to economics, um, they tend to be um, a little more on the left. They like welfare. They like state intervention in the economy. And But the general sentiment is they're not just socially conservative. They think the state has a role to play in social issues as well. And that's where they think people like Bush and Reagan went wrong. They kind of agree with Bush and Reagan on social issues, but they think Bush and Reagan were all about small government. The new right is all about big government, just conservative big government. Yeah, here's something I want to delve into right off the top of this, because I think it's really important to get our hands on. You wrote this piece as a bit of a rebuttal 
But the rebuttal wasn't really against the person. It's the idea of what they were trying to do. I'm quoting yeah. here you a little bit. You're saying you were, they're trying to lay an ideological foundation or some kind of a logical thing. I know friends like my buddy Jay Caruso has written extensively about the populism of the new right. He's got a great piece. I'll link to that one, too. You need to read it. Thing is, they're not really pure populists either, although they have a lot of those tendencies. Like if you just look at the jersey they're wearing for the team, that looks like a populist. They don't really fit that. They don't really fit conservative. They're not super, you know, there's some horseshoe theory where they start getting into some leftist stuff, but they don't really fit that either. Part of the thing here is that they're trying to claim that there's some kind of a logical thread and you just kind of lay it out. You just lay it out. It's like, look, these are just people that want power to change what they cannot change otherwise. That's the common thread, but you can't say that. Yeah, I, I think that's right. These are people who, I mean, to be fair, they're not wrong, um, have lost on most major policy debates in the last 30, 40 years. And they've decided that since they keep losing, it's time to seize the hands of government by what other means necessary. And they're often pretty open about this. The piece I was refuting um, has a whole section about how we need a much more powerful state, we need much more bureaucrats who can do conservative things. And then at the, the next section, it's called Holding Out for a Hero, where it talks about how you need one strong individual to make it all happen. And so they're laying out, at the heart of it is not that their ideas are new, what's more over is kind of a desire to, to use um, the full force of the government to make their plans happen because they don't think they're going to get it otherwise. And they haven't been, but that doesn't necessarily make it okay for them to do that. Yeah. Jeffrey Tyler Sick joining us. I'm, I'm going to throw one more term at you and then we'll delve into this a little bit because this term's really important to me. I've used it on this program. I use it in my writing all the time. I talk about extensively America is a big, pluralistic, diverse country. That's not throwaway nomenclature. That's something I've thought about a lot. That's something that I've learned both through life experience and academic experience and now being a commentator and a writer for a number of years. I use that very, very deliberate. It's a pluralistic, diverse society. It's what makes America so different than every other country on a base level when you're talking, especially on social type of issues. Lay that terminology out for somebody, though, because you touched on it. If you start getting into the cultural aspects, that pluralism is the part that really starts to bug these folks. They yeah. use that as a pejorative when they talk about pluralism. I think it's a positive, though, as long as it's you know used properly. All right, Professor, yeah. we're going to sit and learn. Give us a quick little lesson on pluralism and give two examples. Right. I mean, that's, <laughs> I would say pluralism is a society, a, a pluralistic society. I think it's best demonstrated by example, not in theory society where you have people who live very differently and they live side by side. They may have different religious beliefs, they may be of different ethnicities. And that's why a, um, pluralism is the idea that people who, who have distinct differences should be allowed to live according to those differences. Um, so in a diverse society like the United States, um, where you have lots of different religions and lots of different ethnicities and the big country, there's geographic differences. People in West Virginia are different than people in California, set aside religion and all those other concerns. And in a pluralist society is the idea that these people should be allowed to live together, they should be allowed to exist harmoniously because they're allowed to live in accord with the dictates of their own wishes. Um, and that's, I, I think it's really what the founding fathers, as much as they could, envisioned for America. Obviously there are ways in which they, they didn't, uh, or particularly pluralist in regards to slavery and things like that. But 
that that was the general vision. It's always, I think, been kind of the American vision. Yeah, and here's where this gets into it. Their argument, the folks on the new right, the pluralists, the MAGA folks, the Trump real hardcore supporters, these folks, um, there's others, there's some organizations that, look, a lot of this stuff comes from the same two or three sources over and over again. I don't want to get into it. I want to keep a big picture. But the reason that matters so much is because they'll take a grain of truth. Well, the administrative state is not letting us live side by side in peace or X, Y, and Z crimes not allowing us to live side by side in peace or overburdensome bureaucratic regulation is not letting us live in peace or them over there, whoever they are, because that always changes, is trying to take away X, Y, and Z right from us. So we're not allowed to let, they're always going to find some reason why they don't live in peace. The problem is their answer is always to attack the other people so that they can't live in peace yeah. anyway, and you have this perpetual nonstop war thing. How do we talk about that in a productive way of taking the you know, 20 30% of truth but not sacrificing the 70% of prosperity to get that fixed? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the weird sort of way, as you point out, they're saying, well, we're not a pluralist society, so let's shove it. To stick it to the other guy, and that's that's not quite right. I think um, the better response is: Are we failing to live up in all respects to being a pluralist society? Yeah. Are some people treated differently because of who they are and the things they believe? Yeah, of course. The response is to try and create a world where that isn't true, not to then um, instead just fight with the other people, the people who disagree with you, which is what they're doing. Um, so it's to double down on the principles we're failing to achieve to try and make them a reality, I think, that ought to be our goal instead of abandoning the principles of pluralism and rights and all these sorts of things to aggressively pursue total war victory. Because for these people, what it has become, the kind of war, the cultural war, and then they even call it that, the culture wars. Uh, let's talk about it this way, because you laid it out as you went through your piece at Law and Liberty. Again, we're going to link to the whole piece. It's a long piece. It's in-depth. It's excellent. We're going to link to it, hertel.substack.com. Read the entire thing. When you're talking about the perpetual, you know, doomed to perpetual content conflict is how you lay it out. You also lay out some stuff from history. I'm a history guy. I like it. You talk about there's no road down that path that doesn't wind up in tyranny and despotism. Yep whether it's for the religious reasons or the we need to run a better government. You know, every every tyrant yeah. ever started out with, I'm going to run everything better. You know, Mussolini got the trains running all the time for the first time, right? All that, you know, this sort of thing. It's always an excuse for the power, but it always ends up in the same place. And that's why pluralism is so important is if it's big, diverse, and plural, it's really hard for one person to get control of yeah. all of it. So therefore, that is the eternal conflict, but it's also the red flag for people like us who have a society that's hashing this out in a very messy way of, oh, this is why you do this, because this is actually more than just being diverse to be diverse. This is a safeguard against those folks. And then when they right. openly are telling you that, there's your red flag. Yeah. Well, when I mean, you say there's only one way to live and everybody has to live that way. And somebody else is going to disagree with you. It's just going to happen. People will never agree entirely. And once you have that disagreement, there's going to be a fight about it. And if the only solution is total victory for one side over the other, then it has to be despotism because you're forcing somebody else to live a particular way. And so the alternative to pluralism has, history has shown us time and time again, always been tyranny. Um, and I 
one wonders sometimes if the new right really minds that or if they're perfectly aware of the problem. The answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think they know I mean, what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I know that's. I know academics hate when you do that. They say, "Well, it's either this or this." No, that one. It's a yes. There, there are some people that are just, you know, ignorant to what it really means because they're going along with the buzzwords. But the people yeah. pushing it, they know well and good. Uh, Jeffrey Tyler, sick. When you laid out a couple of your your points here, what, did you try to do it in an order, or what struck you? Again, you're replying from another piece here. But what's kind of the high spots on this for the, you know, the new right, the nationalism, the populism, the the NatCon, some of them are calling themselves, whatever nomenclature you want. What's a couple of the things that popped out to you of like, okay, if you're going to talk about this, you need to address, you know, one, two and three. Give us a couple of the highlights of what people need to know about this movement. Right. So, I mean, I think one of the big ones is that they want to use the administrative state, which is a kind of fancy way of saying the bureaucracies, all the agencies in Washington, D.C. that regulate things. And they want to use them um, for their own purposes. And you could think that's kind of wholesome because the bureau and they're not wrong. Bureaucracies do lots of important things, but presumably they're not talking about regulation of milk pasteurization or um, nuclear energy or anything like this. They're, they're mostly talking about social they want people to live a certain way. And the piece I was responding to made this pretty evident. There was a whole long section about how women need to live in traditional gender roles, which may sound nice to anybody of a slightly conservative disposition, but what's pretty clear in the piece, actually, was the guy meant stay-at-home moms, which is fine if you want to do it. But so there's this, and they're kind of cagey about it. So you have this long section about how we need a more robust administrative state. And I don't really say what it's for exactly but they follow it up they always follow it up by a list of things they do care about and it's things like gay marriage it's things like women in the home things like this and it's sort of evident that that's what they think these things should be for they should be for forcing people to live what they think is the right way yeah and i, I think that to... that's the obvious the, the thing that struck at me and always strikes me in a new right article is the complete intolerance to other ways of life that just permeates the whole thing MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Yeah, 
Uh, Jeffrey Tyler Sick joining us. One of the things you pointed out, and I think it's important because the 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 new right folks or how you know the populists, the nationalists, whatever you want to call, because they're all they're all saying roughly the same thing. Yeah. They love to hijack, you know, the founding and our founding documents and the founding fathers for their own purposes. Right. Now, the founding fathers, we do overly deify them. You know, they they were men of their day. They had limited knowledge to what they knew of the world. They were using the knowledge they had on hand. We can hash that. You know, they they didn't take care of things that they themselves in their own writing knew they should have, like slavery. We can hash that all out some yeah. other time. But what they did, and you pointed out in their piece, because what they did, if you take it in the big picture, actually answers a lot of what these folks are claiming on the new right. They didn't set out an ordered society. They set yeah. out a societal framework. That's your word from the piece. Walk us through that, because I think that's a huge and very important difference in viewing how the Constitution works, how our yeah. checks and balance system of government that is so unique works. I think that's a real key to understanding the difference between our system of government and pretty much any other system of government before or frankly since is that it was a societal framework that could fit almost anybody within it with recourses, right. with redresses of grievances. All that's from a framework, not an ordered society. That's a right. big difference that I don't think we've educated ourselves very well on. Right. I mean, they, they wanted to create a structure in which people could be protected from tyranny, from private tyranny, from public tyranny, from tyranny, um, but would otherwise be able to live their own. And in fact, you need that kind of protection to live your life as you want. And that's the kind of structure they wanted to provide. And Mad James Madison, usually called the father of the Constitution, said it pretty directly in an essay he wrote in the Federalist Papers. He says, there's always going to be factions, people who disagree with one another about things. He says, and the solution is not to get rid of factions, he said, and it's not to have one faction win over the other, because that's the end of democracy. The solution has to be creating a country in which the factions exist. And if they do compete, they compete in a healthy way. But really trying to lower the temperature of competition as much as humanly possible. And that was the goal of the founding, have these people who disagree live together and be protected from one another so they're not all killing each other. And so you can actually have a pluralist society, a free society. You point out in the piece, I think this would be good advice for people on their social media and in their own conversations when they run into folks that believe this stuff. You talk about how their political positions are coherent as long as you don't actually push them to actually talk about real life people. Um, yeah. Because they're like, well, this will make our communities better and our community should be the foundation of the country. Well, that's fine, but right. your community cannot do geopolitics either. So there's got to be some, you know, yeah. between the communities. Give folks that piece, because really what they need when we're discussing this, you don't have to holler. You don't have to yell. You don't have to debate me, bro, and do all that nonsense. Give them the one or two questions to really drill past the buzzword of what they're really after on this, because you laid it out in your pieces like what makes it coherent? Well, are you willing to consider, you know, without affirming four or five things that you believe in only, and if you don't believe these things, then you're not real American yeah. or whatever else. Give folks one or two of those questions that aren't really, you know, confrontational, but it'll get you to the truth really quickly in a conversation. Right. Yeah, I mean, so if you, if you really want to decide if somebody's okay living with people different than them, I mean, ask them, how would you feel um, having a neighbor of a different religious belief? Um, ask them how they would feel if their daughter married somebody of a different religious belief. That's when it gets trickier. Um, religion, though, sometimes can be easy depending on the starkness of the disagreement. 
So you can ask, how, how would you feel about having somebody live next to you who, who does something you really find deplorable? And I don't know what that would be, but it would vary for the person if you think um, divorce is deplorable. How would you feel being friends with the divorced person or at least being friendly with the divorced person? And those are the kinds of questions I think you have to ask yourself. In a pluralist society, can I live with people who, it's not just that I don't particularly want to live the way they live, I don't even like the way that they live. Um, and you have to ask yourself, can I do that? And if you can, I mean, you're, you're, you're well on your way to living in a happy pluralist society. Let's put it this way, because this makes it kind of real for folks, though, is, you know, all the tyranny, the cruelty, the bad despots, you know, the Hitlers of the world, the Mao Zedongs, the great, you know, the really bad stuff that's happened. Mm -hmm. All that starts with let's blame that group of people that we don't like yeah. or whatever. It always no. starts with hating somebody. How do we draw that thread together from just we got to treat our neighbors better no matter what their religion or race or class or whatever yeah. distinction, demographic, immigrant status, whatever you want to pick. How do we draw that line of like yeah, there's a thousand steps between me being nice to the guy on the street and Mao Zedong yeah. starving, you know, tens of millions of people to death. But there is a line there and it starts with us doing yeah. this and that prevents you from getting to that. I'm not sure there are in some ways a thousand steps between those things. I mean, in some ways, obviously being rude to a guy on the street isn't going to starve him out. But that's how it starts. It's a society treating people different, thinking of people as different. Um, and then the thinking of people not as entirely human, or at least not as worthy of being treated well. Um, and then when they're not treated well, you don't care because you don't think they're worthy of it. Or you, you support them not being treated well. You go even further than that. Um, and it does, I think it does begin when you, C.S. Lewis has this wonderful line in your Christianity where he says, you know, it's hard to have charity for our enemies and people we don't like. He said, but you know, a good place to start is by acting like we do. He said, because it's surprising when you act like something, a lot of the times you end up actually believing it too. So always be careful what you're acting like as well in general. But if you act nice to people, if you get to know people, you're probably going to like them better. And that's, I think, it sounds insane, but I think that sort of simple civility is the beginning for sort of preventing that kind of mass tyranny and oppression that plagues despotic societies. Yeah, and for the folks that think we're being silly or Mr. Rogers-ish about that, <laughs> consider, you know, I don't want to broad brush because it ain't all of them, but so many of these nationalists, so many of the, yeah. you know, the NatCons, the the new right folks, they are so viciously ugly on social media. You can, I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's one of the telltales. They're just not nice to anybody that's not them. Let's take it there to put a bow on this and come back to where we started, though, because politically, and you pointed out in your piece, they're not winning. They're losing. Yeah. We thought they had a moment with Trump, who, who, by the way, isn't a populist he's, anyway. He's something else, and we'll deal with that some other time. But they latched on to that, right? They're right. finding out that their brand of nationalism, conservative nationalism, the new right, all this stuff, you know, the new Puritans that want, you know, a new religious American Christianity or otherwise, although, look, I'm a Christian, but whatever they're doing, that's not the Christianity I practice badly. I'm a C-minus Christian. Don't send your letters. I know I'm not a great Christian. Listen, they know they're not winning now. And that's why you're kind of getting this remix stuff like the piece you're responding to. They're trying to rebrand it a little bit. They're trying to monetize it. They're trying to make it into a movement. 
give us a couple things to watch in the future and what you think this is going because they're never going to be a majority of people in America. They're always going to be a minority and a minority of a minority at that. But how do you see them reacting to that? Because they know they're not winning and that's going to dictate how they present themselves and how they conduct themselves in it. But it's in some ways, um, it can become scarier when a group like this doesn't win. Because at that point, they have no investment at all in the democratic process. And they could win occasionally by happens chance. Um, and in those moments, they, they will probably erode what we consider democratic institutions, electoral institutions, um, that they are well aware do not advantage them. Um, they will take make use of the state, the administrative state, which they also, um, you don't really have to have votes to become a bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. There are, in fact, a number of new right organizations, which I, I think seem in some ways to be doing better financially and politically um, than the purely political ones, whose whole job is to try and basically infiltrate the um, civil service of the United States. Um, and that's something to be worried about. Um, in some ways, I, I, like I said, I think it is more alarming when, when you have a snake that's cornered and at risk of death. Um, they're far more likely to strike and do something awful. And I think that's something to watch out for in the coming years and months. Um, and you never know. They may win over. I worry that they could win over more uh, more voters than they currently have. It, there'll never be a majority, but it could be enough of a minority to win in the right circumstances occasionally. And a couple times is all it takes. Jeffrey Tyler Sick joining us. Um, I I want to end on this because you could go all day on the new right. You can argue with these people. I've stopped interacting with them online on social media, especially on LinkedIn. Well, here's the problem is because it's nailing jello to the wall. The more you talk about it, the more exposure you get. You're not going to actually convince them of anything. And no. they have they are the purveyors of the debate me, bro, not because they want to debate and discuss anything, but because they just want they like the noise of it. Yeah. So as we were just talking, though, this isn't working. They're they're going to infiltrate in. You know, they're into the nonprofit sphere. They're gonna they're not gonna go away completely. These things ebb and flow. We can go back. Look, you can pull up posters from the 1870s where you know the know nothings. You know, this is not new stuff, ideologically wise. How should folks approach when they see this stuff online? The nationalism. Common good's one of those words they love to throw around. And then, you know, you got to, well, common good for who exactly? Well, the common good. Well, what's your, who's common and who's good? How do folks deal with this when they see, because really they're not going to see this in their everyday life that much. They'll see it on social media. They'll see it on Facebook. They'll see it there. Some family member will just see the flag on the front of it and promote it. How do they handle that sort of thing? Because that's the practical politics we don't spend enough time talking about. Right. I, I think you're right. I'm not sure there's any. Um, most of them are not worth arguing with. Um, you can't really convince them. But the people who I think we should be concerned about, the people who are winnable, are a lot of young people. They're people my students' age, 18, 19, 20, 21, um, who 
see things about the new right that they're sympathetic to. They don't like that the right keeps on losing. They don't like that the world's changing in ways that they're not personally comfortable with. Um, and they're the ones you have to win, the ones you have to convince that pluralist society can be good, that they can live the way they want to live in a pluralist society. Um, and that there are things we can do to make that more possible for them. Those are the people you have to reach. I'm not sure the new right is totally reachable. And in fact, my piece was, um, how do I put this, a little more firmly put. Um, but in the first draft, but I softened it before publication because it really isn't directed um, at the guy I'm responding to and at the members, people who already are very active in new right politics. It's directed at the people who are vaguely conservative and who just are not, who are maybe sympathetic to the new right, but are not totally sold. The people, like I said, who are winnable. You need to do a whole nother piece just on that term winnable though, because that's, yeah, its, own little, that's its own crap. <laughs> uh, well, it's, a hard, it's a hard demographic to nail down to, because I think you can convince somebody for any number of varying reasons that may have nothing to do, <laughs> you know, one person could be even more convinced because of one thing, and you know it's just impossible. But, but. All right, I'm going to ask you one more terminology that's floating around on the right because I just know that this happens to be in your office, and I think it's just a fun tie-in. And what good's knowing your friends if you can't make fun of them a little bit? But yeah, since, yeah. since the Guardian has the big piece out covering Red Caesar, which is one of the side yeah. notes of this nationalism, they want to you know red as in Republican, they want a hard yeah. right Caesar to save the Republic because we're Rome, we're not, or the Roman Republic, we're right. not. Um, but the Red Caesar, and because I know what's in your office right now, I think that would be really fun because I actually gave you some advice on this and you didn't take me up on it on how to have some fun with your students. But what are your thoughts on Caesar, red or otherwise? Right. So Caesar has always been one of these complicated figures because he was in his way a genuine populist. There were serious problems with the poor in Rome and he promised to fix them. And he actually did fix a number of them, but he did so at sort of the cost of destroying the Roman Republic and taking it over and things like this. Um, the new right, I mean, some of them are pretty openly fond of, of Julius Caesar. Um, I get why they might feel that way. I think they're probably, he's a lot more populist than they actually are. Um, my favorite Roman, as I guess you're alluding to, is the one sitting behind me, which is um, Cicero, who preached, um, was not particularly listened to because, of course, the Republic ended, but who preached that the classes and the people of Rome should, should try to live more harmoniously together. Um, he wasn't brilliant at making that happen. Um, he was an ineffectual politician but in that respect. But uh, And I, that, I think, is some good advice for the new ride. Um, you're right. We are ancient Rome, um, but the the problem the, the solution is not entirely different. If we could learn to live together, if we could learn to be with one another and get along, um, it would go a lot better for us. I think total victory is only in the end going to destroy things we really love about America. Things most of us, anyways, really love about America. Joking about Red Caesars, I just teasing him his his bust of Cicero because the story is that uh, Cicero's hands were cut off and posted <laughs> and displayed in the uh, I believe in the outside the forum if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, I'm a little I'm a little rusty on my classical education that I had, but I said you need to put the bloody hands right above the Cicero so when the students come in, you'd be like, "This is what <laughs> happens to Chat GPT plagiarists." 
Well, they're uh, on my front. They're on the door, you see. So they see before they even come in the in the office. <laughs> That's good, Professor. And Tyler's sick. Love having the conversation, my friend. We'll have you back. This whole piece is in Thank Law and so Liberty. Much. It is a long piece. Please read the entire thing. Lots of good stuff. We're skipping over some of the names and stuff because we just don't want to get too far afield. Make sure you go back, go through that and read his stuff. Let folks know where they can keep up with you and what you got going on until we get you back on the program again, my friend. Right. So I'm active on, on Twitter at, at Tyler Sick. And then I also have a personal website that I semi-regularly update with my recent pieces called um, jtylersick.com. We will link to both of those along with the piece. They'll be in the show notes on the Hertel Substack. Uh, now that you're in Pikeville, though, I do have to remind you, make sure you tell all those traitorous McCoys to stay on their side of the tug and there won't be no trouble. <laughs> Other than that, sir, you have yourself a wonderful day and keep them straight down there. You too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, sir. <laughs> All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, Head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics, from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcast or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.